Okay, let's go to the book of Jude. Jude, we're going to go all the way to verse 4 today. And I'm all hooked up, right? Okay, verse number 4. Give you a chance to turn there. It's just before the book of Revelation. It's a very short book. It might be one, it might be two pages in your scriptures. Or maybe three, depends on how many footnotes you have down below. But um, it's a tiny little book, but a potent little book. And uh, we're going to spend time in verse 4. I wanted you to see it as I read it here. (laughs) For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, or unawares you might have. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Boy, are we, are we ready for this? Put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful. To us, an incredible blessing. That which nourishes our souls and encourages our thoughts and guides us in the paths of righteousness You have given to us all these wonderful promises that we can feast upon, that we can grow thereby, and we thank you, Lord, for it. But we also find passages like this within it that are warnings, big flashing red and yellow lights on our page to prepare us for that which could cause great danger. And I pray today that our hearts are open and receptive to what we see. May your word work like a mirror. If there's something within us that these words reflect, that you might give us that warning to correct our way. If there is some neglect that we have given to your word, that you would make us mindful of that. But in all that we accomplish today in studying your word, we want to be more like Jesus. And we pray that this will be worked through to us. And when we're all through with this, we will be much more like him than we were when we started. So thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now. It's a wonderful thing. It's a powerful thing. And yet it's the thing that you do so faithfully to us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we started in on our study here of Jude... Verse number one talks about who we are. We are loved. And we are set apart for a purpose. And we are kept. Now, we've studied that a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know when it was anymore. Some time ago. It wasn't that long ago. But these weeks are all messed up right now for me. And um, we're on sermon number eight already. Can you believe that? Number eight already. So somewhere around Sermon 4 or 5, we dealt with that. So if you want to go back to our website, who we are is a precious thing. Because the Lord considers you to be precious. And that was a very good study for us. We saw in verse number 2 what we have. We have mercy and we have peace and we have love. And we need it to grow because we have to share that. And we talked about that too several weeks ago. And we started in last time together with where we are. And that kicks in, especially from verse 3, really to the end of the book. 
where we are. Because Jude has a concern, and he's addressing that concern. And uh, we see it there in verse number 4, as I just read to you a bit ago. For a moment, jump down to verse 17. Jude says this, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Look at the way he just said that. You ought to remember. Do you have a problem with remembering things? I had a friend in our church in Indiana. He was an older man. He was heading toward 80 before the Lord took him home. And you see him come into the church, and he was so faithful to everything. He was always there. He had this Scottish accent, too. It was always fun to talk to him. But uh, he came in so often. He says, Pastor, he says, I'm just a little concerned. He says, my software is getting hard. <laughs> and I, and it's so cute to hear it say it that way. My software is getting hard. Do you feel that way? Software is getting hard. You ought to remember. I think that's that's something that you know is expected of us. But also that kind of sets us right back down on our seat, doesn't it? Because if we're not remembering, is that because our Software is getting hard, or is that because of neglect? Because we haven't paid attention. We've heard it, but we just didn't mark it down. We didn't, you know, that's the problem with making our, uh, appointments with things. If you don't write it down, you forget it. Or maybe you don't do that. Maybe that's just me. But we write things down so we remember. The Lord has spoken to us, is what Jude would say here. He has spoken to us, and spoken to us, and spoken to us about things we should know. And I don't want to be included with those who forget and those who neglect. Do you? As Jude is writing this, you see in verse 17, and that just kind of pops off the page to me, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words which were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers, following after their own ungodly lusts, these are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Now, if they don't have the Spirit, are they believers? No. Then why are they leading? Why are they in such positions that they cause divisions? Why is that happening? Jude says, that's where we are in verse 4. They have crept in unnoticed. Now, between verse 4 and verse number 17, there's a rather long section in here, comparably to Jude's writing. If Paul was writing, it would be about 17 chapters. But uh, Jude just has a handful of verses here from 5 to 16, and he goes through a history lesson with his readers. He brings up the history of how these people have acted in the past. People like them. How they have acted and how God has judged them over and over and over again. 
And he also highlights the behavioral traits that come with people like this. All right? In a sense, it's very, very important that we understand those verses from 5 to 16. You would think that after seeing the display of God's judgment, you would refrain from offending him in that particular sin. You would think that. We have a tendency, I say we, I'm sure you do, and I do too. If you're heading down 132 over here, and you come up over the hill, and you see about a half a mile ahead of you, these red and blue lights flashing and somebody on the side of the road, what do you do? You slow down, even if you're only going 40 miles an hour, you still pull off. Why? Because you say, I don't want to be like that. Everyone will see me. Right? Around here they would. So we know that when we see somebody get in trouble for something, it's not wise to do that. There's a record of it in Scripture. There's a long record of it in Scripture. You know the saying, those who do not learn from history are destined to repeat it. It's the advantage today of those who are taking society and engineering it to their own likes, their own persuasions and, and movements and such, that they're trying to eliminate the study of history. And why are they doing that? It's more than just removing the past. It also removes the lessons that are learned from wrong behavior. And if we don't see that, ignorance is not bliss. It's trouble. Those who do not like Old Testament stories, they, they say, well, you know, that's, that's old stuff. We live in the New Testament. We, we are governed by the epistles mostly, not the law. The Old Testament was for the Jew. The Old Testament was for old generations. It has no value for us today. And I would say that's not so. That is not so. You head back to the days of Moses and you say, well, that's a long time ago. But the Corinthians got a lesson on that one day. When Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers who were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. That means they died. Now these things happened as examples for us. That's what he says in verse 6, 1 Corinthians 10, 6. These things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. So he goes on to say, don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And don't act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Did you hear that number? 23,000 fell in one day. Will that make a, a noticeable change in the environment around them? 
Oh, yes. And don't grumble. Oh, nope, sorry, get back to that. Don't let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. And don't grumble, as some of them did, who were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things, he says in verse 11, again, these things happen to them as an example, and they're written for our instruction, upon whom the end of the ages have come. In other words, so much of your Old Testament was written to show how not to do it. Because the examples, too many times, is that which says, oh, don't follow that guy. You know, there were like 20 or 30 some kings. How many of those were worth following? Maybe five, maybe five and a half. Maybe. We had so many times, we, we list our, our Joshua's, we list our David's, we list our, you know, uh, Hezekiah's, we list these men that we look back on, we read of maybe in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we say, oh yeah, great guys, that's the kind of guys, but there's like 12, 15, 17, maybe 30 of them. And how many multitudes did not do it right? Maybe that's the discouraging part of reading the Old Testament. Nobody gets up excited to read the book of Judges. I can't wait to see how they mess up today. We're not like that. We want those positive influences. So we say, I, I, I don't want to read that. But Scripture will say, but that's your example. It's your example. It's your example. Learn from it. Don't get weary from such a study. Which would you rather learn from? Your mistake or somebody else's? Easy enough. Read your Old Testament. Read your Old Testament. Now, what I'm saying is that between 5, verse 5, and verse 16, that's what you're getting a big dose of. Old Testament examples that failed. And unfortunately, the behavioral traits seen there are what's all wrapped up in that one individual or two individuals that have crept into the church, Jude says. This is a lesson. You could start with Jude verse 5. I'll just give you kind of a summary as we go. Watch carefully what we see. We could give the lesson from Moses and the people in the wilderness here. Now I desire uh, to remind you, verse 5 says, Though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. That covered 40 years right there. A lesson of disobedient angels, verse 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. That's a perplexing verse, but it's nevertheless given to us to show angels, there were some disobedient angels. Don't be like them. Verse number 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as they indulge in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. That's still set before us. God did not change that story. Verse number 8. 
I'm going to have you hold on to verse number 8. It says, yet in the same way these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. That's, hold that verse. Verse number 9. Next lesson. Michael and the devil. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. And you say, what's that all about? Hang on, we'll get to it eventually. Verse 10, hold on to this. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Verse 11, the lessons of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And you may say, I don't know what their lessons are. Read them. They're in the Old Testament. Woe to them, verse 11 says, for they have gone the way of Cain. They have paid, and for pay they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And then hold on to the next two verses. These are the men who are hidden reeds in your love feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Next lesson, Enoch. Verse 14 and 15. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, hold this one. These are grumblers, fault, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly. Flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. That's a lot of history, folks. I just gave you snippets as we went along. But all of them spoke of the judgment of God. On sinful people who left the right way to do things against him. Our purpose in studying this is to trace their behavior. Those particular traits that we find in those words. I told you to hold a few verses. Let me show you what I was having you hold. These, Jude said. Most of those verses said, and these. He's pointing to those who have crept into the church. He gave you the lesson from the Old Testament, but then he says, and like them, these ones, and he points directly to those who have crept in. He says in verse 8, or verse 5, these ones did not believe. And in verse 6, they did not keep their own domain. They abandoned their proper abode. And in verse 7, they indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. In verse 8, they also are these men who by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. In verse 10, 
These men revile the things which they do not understand. These things which they, they know by instinct like unreasonable animals. In verse 11, they followed the ways of Cain and Balaam and Korah. Error and rebellion is two of their characteristics. Verse 12 and 13. These men are hidden reefs in your love feasts, and they feast with you without fear. They care for themselves, and they wander, and they're carried about, and they cast up shame. These men, verse 14 says, these men, the ones like Enoch prophesied against in verse 15, they're ungodly. In ungodly deeds, which they do in ungodly ways, and they speak harsh things as ungodly sinners. They are grumblers, verse 16 says. They find fault. They follow after their own lust. They speak arrogantly. They flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. You know what you've just seen with what I've read to you? If there was a wanted poster on the wall, it would have on that wall a picture of the wanted individual. And it would write underneath that, give you a description of what they are wanted for. You've seen them before. Let's just say that you just set up a wanted poster in the church foyer. And he has described the person that we ought to watch out for. Boil it down, and this is what Jude just said. They do not believe. They do not keep their domain. They do not stay in their proper abode. They indulge in gross immorality. They go after strange flesh. They defile the flesh. They reject authority. They revile angelic majesties. They revile the things they do not understand. They've gone the way of Cain. In other words, they're offering unworthy sacrifices and then committing murder. They pay For pay, they've rushed headlong in the era of Balaam. Money becomes more important to them than obedience. They perished in the rebellion of Korah. They demanded leadership when they were unqualified. Error and rebellion is what they're all about. They feast with you without fear. They care for themselves. They're clouds without water. That's false hope. They're carried about by winds. There's no stability. They're autumn trees without fruit. There's no valuable results. They're doubly dead and uprooted. They have no future. They're wild waves of the sea. They're undisciplined. They cast up their own shame like foam. Don't even have to describe that one to you. They're wandering stars. They're out of their natural orbit. They're ungodly. They do ungodly deeds. They act in an ungodly way. They speak harsh things. They're ungodly sinners. And they have spoken against Him, your Lord and mine. They're grumblers. And they find fault. And they follow after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, and they flatter people for the sake of gaining 
an advantage. Can you spot them now? That's what Jude says. I want you to look for them. This is their trait. This is what it looks like. You would read this, see it on a chart, on a wall, and say, yuck! Yuck! If we find one single person who embodies all these things, what would you do? You'd do your best to avoid them, wouldn't you? Would you like that to be the description of your next door neighbor? Or somebody who comes to your fellowship or your family reunions every year? You'd say, oh, I don't want to be near that. I don't want to be near people like that. That's just not right. Why does Jude sound the alarm in this book? Look at verse 4. Why? Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Why didn't they get noticed if they're like this? What happened? Do you see if we're not careful to remember what we're taught, what we open ourselves up to, if we haven't been taught well, we blame the scriptures. But we can't do that, can we? Because God has said it, and God has said it, and God has said it. And we point our finger at all those Old Testament people and say, what was wrong with them? And they heard it from God all the time. What he said, what he said, what he said. And they chose not to do it. And what is our danger today? To be just like them. We've been given this information. And if they have crept in unnoticed, it's because we were not noticing. And I think we're called to be noticers. Is that right? Noticers? Sounds good to me. We're called to be alert and aware and to know what's on the wanted poster. We're supposed to be discerning and, dis- and be able to spot these kind of things. But that's a sad alarm that Jude has to raise here. Certain pe- pe- persons have crept in unnoticed. They were long before marked out for this condemnation. They're ungodly persons. Who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is not future tense when he wrote it. He didn't say, look out, they're coming. He says, they're here now. And I would repeat that today like an echo. It's in our churches. It's in our country. It's among our people. And I don't want to be caught as one who does not notice. There's a little word here for crept in. Crept in. Par ice do know. Par ice do know. Greek little word. Para is alongside. We use the word perimeter and such. Alongside. Ice is into. And do know means they sat down. They sunk. That's actually the word for it. To sink into something. It's kind of like what you do when you get toward your lazy boy recliner, right? You just get right and down you go and you sink into that thing. 
We've got a cat that has a habit of walking in circles three times before she sits down. There's a picture of this. Maybe you have a cat like that too. But, but the idea of they, they walked around. They walked around. They got comfortable. They got comfortable and they said, this is where I'm going to stay. And down they go. They settled in. They sank in. They lodged in with you. They crept in unaware. You didn't even see them do it. You weren't even aware, Judas saying to his readers. You weren't even aware. The fact is, it's done. They have crept in. They're not in the process of sneaking in right now. They're already in. They're in your lazy boy recliner. They're sitting in your living room. They've mingled. I have this quote. They've mingled with the people of God and pretended to be true members. But in reality, they were bogus Christians wearing a cloak of counterfeit faith and piety. And Jesus warned of this. Back even in John chapter 10, verse number 1, he says, These are those who, instead of entering into the sheepfold by the door, they have stealthily crept in by another way. They do not enter the church and make their intentions known. I think that would help if they wore t-shirts that say, I'm a bad man and I intend to do bad things, so avoid me. (laughs) Nobody wears that t-shirt. They sneak in, but they do come. They profess to be something they are not. They hide the things that they truly are. And you may ask, why? Why? If they prefer to do things that Jude says they do, and they come into a place that is completely opposite of that, say that they love ungodly things, why would they choose a godly church situation to creep into? Doesn't that sound odd to you? Why would they want to come in among us? The answer is simple. You ready? People who think highly of themselves want followers for themselves. I hate to say this, but the Christian tends to be more open, more kind and loving, more hospitable, more merciful, and you say, but aren't we supposed to be that way? Yes. But more times than not, we are innocent as doves, but not as wise as serpents. We're so willing to be seen as godly that I think we leave our brains at the door. We forgot how to be discerning. And those who seek to get attention find the church to be an easy audience for what they want. I hate to say it that way. I really do. Jude addresses this congregation. He begins with the fact that these have already gotten in. These have already become so familiar to the congregation that they're part of the potluck suppers. And they're Sunday school teachers. 
It may be easy to fool the believer, but praise the Lord, you can't fool him. You can't fool him. How often, I wonder, has he protected us unaware of the danger that might have crept in and damaged our congregation? How many times he might have saved us from something terrible because he's a great shepherd and he's going to watch his flock. And I praise the Lord for that. See, God keeps his eyes on these kind of folks. He knows what is inside a man as well as what is presented visibly. He marks that man. You know, the shepherd who will have his sheep inside the fold... He knows that they're protected in there, but at the same time, he's got one eye out there in the fields to watch for the wolf. He sees him coming, and he sees him circling around. And the shepherd keeps his eye on him, because there might be a need to go out and get rid of the wolf. Or sometimes he doesn't, and he just protects his flock. In Psalm 23, he even lets his flock eat right in the presence of of all the wolves that are out there. He says, because I could protect my flock. And I say one thing to all this, I'm thankful for a faithful shepherd who takes care of us. The Lord has protected us, and I don't even know how I could even start that story without saying that's his nature. And who knows what he's done over all these years, but he marks the man. He marks the man who is a danger to his flock. In verse number 4, it says, Who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. God has kept an eye on them. He's marked them. But here, folks, understand that God has that, that He does for us, but He's also given to us the responsibility to do it too. God has given to us the responsibility of marking the man. You say, how do I know? Well, let me give you a good example first, all right? Philippians 3.17. There are some that we ought to mark and follow their example. Mark that man and do what he says. Brethren, Paul writes, join in following my example and observe those. Or the King James says, mark them who walk according to the pattern you have in us. In other words, you find a righteous man, mark that man and walk in his steps. That's a good thing, isn't it? But mark him. But there are also bad examples, too. People you need to mark and not follow who or what they are. Romans sixteen seventeen, for example. Paul writes again, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have heard, and turn away from them. There's some that we say, well, I won't follow a false teacher, and I won't follow the immoral man, but here's somebody who causes dissension. He says, turn away from them. Here's one that causes hindrances contrary to your teaching. Get away from them. Mark them. In 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person, mark him, 
and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. That is a heavy thing to do. I, I give to you, and someday we'll study it through, but those last couple of verses of Second Thessalonians is church discipline. It's what we should do if somebody's not obedient to God's word. That's heavy stuff. But he says, do not associate with them. Mark them so they could be put to shame. There are a thousand reasons why we should not get comfortable with a person like that. Using the character of Christ, such as, I'm going to be kind anyway, is not consistent with the example he set for us. Study his life. What did Jesus do when the temple was full of thieves and robbers? He made a whip and he cleaned it out, remember? Twice he did that during his life here on this earth. He took them out of the temple because they turned the place of prayer into a den of thieves. He called out the Pharisees and the scribes. If you want a heavy, heavy chapter, Matthew 23 will make your hair stand straight up. As you read through that, and over and over he calls them blind guides, and he declares woes, W-O-E, woe on you. Woe to you, Matthew 23, 14, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, you pre- for a pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive a greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourself. Jesus was not soft on false teaching. He was not soft on those who were hurting his people. Beyond all that, folks, God has already marked these people down for condemnation. You saw that in verse 4, didn't you? God already marked them. And if we don't mark them like that, are we not fraternizing with the enemy of our God? And if that's not enough, that's a lot. Do you realize that persons of this description are the very ones who will lead our weak and our vulnerable folks and our children away into error? Which is, I think, what Jude is addressing when we get to the end of this book. In verse 22, he says, have mercy on some who are doubting. What are they doubting and why are they doubting? Because somebody has caused them to doubt. Have Save others, snatching them out of the fire. Where did the fire come from? And why are they dancing around the edges of it? And why do we need to pull them out? Have mercy with fear on some, hating even the garments polluted by, by the flesh. How do they ever get their garments polluted? I suggest to you that these are the, un, the results of ungodly ones who have crept in, and they are hurting our vulnerable and our weak and our immature and our children. And if that doesn't alarm you, I don't know what will. Too many times people would say, well, it won't hurt me in my generation. Oh, but it will hurt the next one. Because we have not been aware. We have not been careful in this generation. 
You see, what Jude has said, and I'll say it very carefully. Listen carefully, okay? I'll explain it better later. God didn't call you to rescue the ungodly ones that he's referring to here who's caused the trouble in the church. He calls you and me to rescue the ones who have fallen for their deception and become followers of those who lead them astray. I realize that you have to say that very carefully. When I, what I read and what you see right now is the fact that they have been marked out for condemnation already. And yet, the ones we are called to rescue, the ones who need rescue, according to the, the book of Jude here, is those who have fallen to the deceptions of this man. I have more time to develop that, and you know I'm going to take it. We're going to do that. But the rest of verse number four demands just a few thoughts before we quit. If you boil down the essence of their character, it comes down to two primary things. What they do with God's grace and what they do or think about our Lord. Those two things pop out when we put it all together. I just want to go back to one thing that we are to do. Because it's likely after all that you heard today, you might be feeling a little insecure. And you might be worried about this might happen to us. And what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What are we called to do? It is the exact same thing we need to do if we're going to help our brother or our sister who's in trouble. It's the same thing we need to do if we're going to prepare for ungodly people who might sneak in and take control of our leadership. Verse 20. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. Wait anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And you say, okay, that's what my calling is then in verse 20 and 21. And it starts with building yourself up on the faith. I keep saying that, don't I? You need to be stronger in the faith. You need that, and you need to pray more, because the dangers are serious. And you say, but how do you know I can do this? How do you know I can survive all this? What is our theme? God is able. Not you, not me. God is able. He's the one able to keep you from falling. He is the one able to make you stand in his presence with great joy. And he does that completely, perfectly, permanently in the fact that he loves you and he sets you apart and he keeps you and he's given you his mercy and his peace and his love. Romans 8 adds in verse 32, if he did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? When you start to feel that you might not be able you're starting to get on the track. Because that makes you say, then I better get closer to the one who is. Right? That's our answer to this. Because the more we stay close to the shepherd, the more we see him point out the wolves. Heavenly Father, this is a lesson for us today. And though it brings us great concerns, it's also... Very, very relieving to know that we're not here alone. We have our great shepherd who's watching out for us, 
And as we walk close to him, he teaches us and guides us and protects us. And I'm so thankful that's what you do for us, Lord Jesus. You love your church. And you said nothing will stand against it. And then we run into passages like this where there are potentials of great danger. Help us to be aware. But help us most of all to grow in our faith in you. Stand close to you. Closer and closer and closer. That we may be able to stand because you are able. And not fall because you are able. And we praise you for that kind of love for us what you're doing right now, and what you continue to do. Just open our eyes to what we need to see today and make us more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.